Welcome to The Vessel, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Frank Johnson and Peter Bush. Let's get all up into some movies, y'all. Welcome, everybody, to The Vessel. Today's show is brought to you by the Mosby Boys Detective Agency. For the best brother-sister detective agency in Ohio, be sure to call the Mosby Boys. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the show where we like to break down, pull apart, figure it all out, what are movies made of. And hopefully we, we walk away with a little bit of movie-making magic that helps us understand a little bit what goes into making it. And I, I, I like to think that we're making movies more fun, too, because... I think if you can look at something, whether any movie, even if it's a bad movie, uh, and walk away from it, I think having these kinds of insights makes for a more interesting and dynamic conversation, even with just your friends. Yeah, and and also maybe even you know improving taste a little bit. You know Ideally, I mean? yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, since starting this podcast, I feel like my taste has gotten a lot better. Yeah, you know, and 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 also I can like like verbalize my opinion better, you know? So hopefully we're helping people do that too. Yeah. Same here. And it's just, it's an interesting process. It's, it's a skill set like any other thing. Um, the more I do it, I know even on the fly as I'm walking out of certain movies, I'm like, Oh man, I'm noticing even more things without even trying to not, I mean, not that I never not trying, but yeah, no, for it's, real. it's a, it's a sickness. Um, uh, that said, if you have not seen seven David Fincher's seven, I think it's like the 1995 film, uh, then beware there are spoilers coming ahead. Uh, we are yeah. really big anti-spoiler advocates, uh, rabid anti-spoilerites. So be aware. We are going to talk about a lot of things, not just the film and review and how we feel about it. But today we're going to talk about some of the character arcs, some of the symbolism, uh, what I like to think of as psychological violence, uh, which I don't actually have any notes for. I just feel like that's going to come up. <laughs> Camera yeah. work and cinematography. And specifically, there's one simple but brilliant uh, technique that they use to foreshadow some things that are going to happen. So I'm yeah, really excited to talk about spoilers, that. So. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't like spoilers, turn this off. Come back later after you've watched the movie. Heck yeah. Uh, so quick synopsis on the film. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. Directed by David Fincher, screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, starring Brad Pitt as Mills, Morgan Freeman as Somerset, Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy, and Kevin Spacey as John Doe. You know, this isn't going to have a happy ending. Hey man, we catch him, I'll be happy enough. If we catch John Doe and he turns out to be the devil, I mean, if he's Satan himself, that might live up to our expectations, but he's not the devil. He's just a man. You know, see, you bitch and you complain and you tell me these things and you scream. If you think you're preparing me for hard times, thank you, but. But you gotta be a, a hero. You wanna be a champion. Well, let me tell you, people don't want a champion. They wanna eat cheeseburgers, play the lotto, and watch television. Hey, how did you get like this? I wanna know. There wasn't one thing I can tell you that. Go on. I just don't think I can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was a virtue. You know different, you know better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. Yeah. It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Help. Love costs. It takes effort and work. We are talking about people who are mentally ill. We are talking about people fucking crazy. No, no, yes. we're not. No, no. Today. We're, we're, we're talking about everyday life here. We, we, you, 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 you can't afford to be this naive. Fuck off. See, you, you should listen to yourself. Yeah. You say that the problem with people is that they don't care. So I don't care about people. It makes no sense. You know why? 
You, you okay. care. You want to know? Damn right. And you're going to make a difference. Whatever. The point is, is that I don't think you're quitting because you believe these things you say. I don't. I think you want to believe them because you're quitting. You want me to agree with you and you want me to say, yeah, 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 you're right. It's all fucked up. It's a fucking mess. We should all go live in a fucking log cabin. But I won't. I won't say that. I don't agree with you. I do not. I can't. This took me by surprise. I, I want to say I've actually watched it in like the last six months, mm-hmm. but I hadn't actually tuned into it. I had it sitting in the background kind of thing where I was working on some edits and I was only halfway paying attention. And so sitting down to watch this a few days ago for the first time in probably years since I've really tuned into it. It surprised me how dark this movie really is and how appropriate it is to end this on this kind of several week bender we've been going on on this. Like I've been joking about, you know, this mm-hmm. descent into hell. Yeah. I had no idea how appropriate it really was going to be. It shocked me how deep and dark this movie really gets. Yeah. It's, it's rough. And I think the part that really surprised me about that after finishing it and feeling just icky and and gross was that there's shockingly little violence in it. Oh, yeah. Like, you really only see one person get killed. And even then, you don't really see it that well, right? John Doe himself is the only real on-screen murder we witness. Right. And even that is from like a wide shot, like a really super wide shot where he's not even, you know, taking up half the frame. It's an interesting thing to execute. (laughs) Uh, No pen intended, but (laughs) yeah. And that, I mean, I think that's part of the darkness is that it's, it's venture allows it to be in our heads by not showing us the acts happening. So when you see the lawyer, Mm -hmm. And they talk about what happened. You just picture it happening. And that's way worse. It's it's like, that's why the book is always better than the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're reading it and you're imagining it and creating it yourself in your head. Whereas the movie is just showing it to you. It's just giving it to you on the platter. Well, this this movie is like a book in that respect where it just makes you create it yourself in your head, which makes you feel even ickier because you're creating it yourself. Ooh. And you're not even realizing that you are until you're, you know, three quarters of the way through and you're like, God, I'm exhausted. This is rough. It's making you work for it, man. It's awesome. It really is. Yeah. And that's why I like that idea of psychological violence, right? It's, yeah. it is, you are world building the violence yourself and it's all intimated and it's described. And I think that's such a good comparison to compare it to reading a book because I'm not a person who can watch the news or watch these documentaries about surgery and you're watching surgery happen that Mm-mm. that'll stay with me for the rest of my life really if i'm honest yeah. um and so that's just not something i can partake in this is something that i'm much easier watching but yeah like having to create that violence myself was it took me by surprise because any one of these uh you can imagine being forced to eat beyond your desire you can imagine just that violent scene that we never witnessed with the uh, with the strap-on knife. Um, oh yeah, you see nothing, nothing in that. All you see is a picture of an unbloodied knife on a on a mannequin. Yeah, that's as much that's as you really. And you, you see this wide, oh, and you slightly see, out of focus shot of the the prostitute right. on the bed, and just the 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 guy talking about it. Yeah, like and oh. his. Tr- trauma it becomes our trauma oh yeah i mean and that's just fantastic acting yeah that guy is amazing shit out of that (laughs) he is brilliant yeah and yeah so i'm just kind of floored by that ability to to put all that on the on the viewer these these hidden what i like to refer to as like a third cut the the edit of the mind that's inserting this violence a a very hitchcockian way of going about selling violence Mm-hmm. far more effective and just ultimately going to make the movie resonate much longer. Yeah. And I, I cannot believe, you know, just how much I felt at the end of this. And I think this is also 
it surprised me because I had watched it so recently, but it also tells me how important it is to, to stay focused on a film, uh, to, to give yourself over to a film without distraction and why going to a movie is ultimately right now still the best experience that you can have because you are, you should be forced to part with your phone and part with conversations and, you know, news things that are popping up or people around the house trying to talk to you when you're in a movie theater and you're in the dark, you're forced into this environment. And in this film, they do such a great job of there's not a lot of light. Mm -hmm. So the light, it's literally a dark film and they have all these atmospheric elements creeping throughout the film, the rain, these kind of, uh, hazed rooms with the flashlight beams. And so you're, you're also working for it in that way. You're working to see literally what's happening on screen because it is a dark thing. And so it's just so well crafted from story to execution that you got to tip your hat to, mm -hmm. to walking out of this experience and feeling like shit. <laughs> oh yeah, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. The, Character arcs I thought were really interesting. That's something that I realized I haven't really put a lot of emphasis on, on, you know, when I'm doing analysis lately. And just to touch on that for a quick minute, Mills, I'll start with Mills because he's got the easier arc. Yeah. <laughs> he, I think, is really summed up perfectly in, in that clip that we just heard. He wants to do some good. He wants to be a hero, a champion for the people. But he is naive because even though verbally, right, he's refusing to give up on humanity. He's going to do what it takes and he's in for the good fight until he's forced to actually make a choice that matters at the end, right? The choice that he has is I can believe in the system. I can believe in justice or I can believe in vengeance and taking it into my own hands. And ultimately he doesn't believe in justice. He believes in vengeance and in the, in all the stuff that John Doe is preaching against. Mm -hmm. He is very much a problem on the other hand. And it's this really reflective thing that I think will hit home hopefully in a, in a minute here I, I, on the opposite end of that spectrum on the flip side, specifically you have Somerset and in the opening sequence before the title sequence, the cold open, we have the, uh, his very banal existence of getting up in the morning. Everything's peaceful. He's getting dressed and then we cut straight to his job, which is in another home, but it's all bloody and it's a murder. And then we kind of go back to him at home and the noises of the city surrounding him and the metronome kind of rocks him off to sleep. He has a rhythm and this internal rhythm kind of helps him lose and drown out all the, the, the pain of the city. And then we go to after the second kill, uh, the greed, he's in his office and We've, we've established through his conversation with Mills after uh, in that in that opening sequence that he's done in a week. He's gone. He could not be more excited and pleased to be piecing out. And so when we cut to after the second kill, after he's already told, you know, his boss and Mills that he doesn't want anything to do with this case. He's he's done. Well, after the second kill, he's in his office. And what's happening? He's having a conversation with his boss. But on the door, his name is getting scraped off. He's being erased. And what does he do? He says, stop. Yeah. He tells him to stop. I.e., he's invested. He's not ready to go just yet. Yeah. He's not ready to peace out. And so he's still wrestling, though. And in the same conversation, he's still wrestling with this thing because he doesn't understand the violence anymore. He doesn't understand it. And we have this great sequence as he's still kind of wrestling with how involved he's going to get in this case where he gets into the cab and he's going to go to the library and the cabbie asks him where he's going. And what does he say? He says far away from here. And it's so, you know, symptomatic of his worldview. He's like, man, I just want to get away from all of this. And obviously he still goes to the library and you then fast forward a little bit further. You have the dinner with Tracy and this is one of the things that I found interesting was that we finally realized his first name, which is William. And go with me a little bit here, because this is probably going to sound like a bunch of hocus pocus. Mm, we're going down this road? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. But his name is William, which you can say is Will S. Will S is reflective of Mills. 
the W and the M are a reflection of each other, right? If you stack them one on top of each other, the other, um, they're, they're exact opposites. And so I think it's saying that these are effectively the same person in different points of their life. You have the rookie who's just kind of coming into it, even though he says he's been doing this for five years and he's like, no, yeah, not like this. And it's, they are reflecting each other for him, for, for Somerset, he's lived here for too long. And he says that you get numb to all of this after a while. That's a brutal way to live life. And I understand why he would want to go after a certain point because we'll get to it. And so he also says later on, um, in any major city, minding your own business is a science staying out of it. And he tells this awful example of they teach women in rape prevention to not cry for help because mm. people are going to ignore you. To yell fire. You have to yell fire. Holy shit. Yeah. How depressing is that whenever to realize that, especially as someone who's there to solve crimes and help put away bad people Yeah. to, to have that kind of realization in your worldview. It's like, man, what's the point? Yeah, that's rough. Common citizens aren't even helping each other. Yeah. And then we get to... I forget what scene exactly it is where they're, oh, where they go back into the lawyer's office and they peel off the, uh, the, the painting to find the help me and the fingerprints and Mills reaches over to him. And he's like, man, have you ever seen anything like this? And he's like, I've never seen anything like this, like this case before. And this is becomes a bit of a, the, the calling card for the rest of his, his character. Um, there's this point where he says, I wish I still thought the way you do, right? Where he's talking to Mills and he's like trying to explain to him the depressing nature of their jobs at this point is we're just picking up the pieces. We're logging crimes. We're not helping people. We're not solving cases. We're, we're here basically as accountants for wrongdoings. And that sucks. That is obviously just a really depressing thing. But in that bar scene, I love that they have that conversation. They kind of spell it out. Like, how'd you get like this? And he's like, it wasn't one thing. It was an accumulation of it all. And he despises the apathy of humanity. So he's quitting. And at home, right after that scene in the bar, we have this great juxtaposition of their lives. Mills, we see him climbing to bed with his wife, holds her, says he loves her. He has his wife. We have that beautiful ceiling shot of them together in bed. And then we cut to this close up of Somerset alone in his bed, staring basically into the camera and he has no one. And that conversation with Mills ultimately upsets his rhythm, right? He destroys his metronome. He no longer has peace. That was kind of this symbolism of, of peace in his world. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, after Mills faces his demon, right? And, cannot conquer that understandably so it changes him though it, it changes somerset his character art goes from not caring to caring and reconnecting with humanity through the loss of someone that he was coming to care about and someone that was becoming an influence in his life and what does he say he quotes hemingway right the world is a fine place and worth fighting for and he says i agree with the second part He's acknowledging yeah. that I've come to grips with the world is a terrible place, but you know what? It is worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simple from A to B, from A to Z really, but it's, it's so simple. It really is kind of an A to B situation where I don't believe the world is worth fighting for any longer too. Maybe it is. It's a short walk across the street, but it's, it's a very strong, obviously, path to get there. <laughs> so if they are opposites, who would you have rather been? You know, like, because I can totally see that. I mean, when I was younger, I was definitely more the Mills type where it was, you know, you're, you're just, you know, you, you're very optimistic about things and, uh, I feel like I still am, but I, I, I'm so, I find myself somewhere in between the two. I'm not as, I'm not as like starry eyed as Mills, but I'm not as, um, beaten down and defeated in a way uh, against humanity. Yeah, cynical as um, Freeman's character. One thing that I do have in common with his character is that I don't, and the thing that I took away from that conversation was, what's Morgan Freeman's character? Somerset. Saying, thank you. Was that Somerset, the first thing that he said in that in that bar scene was, he was talking about 
say we catch John Doe and he turns out to be the devil. Well, in fact, he's not the devil. He's just a man. And I think that that has a lot to do with the stuff going on today. When you, do, you know, it's very easy to dismiss um, these people that do these mass shootings or you know uh, terrorists or anything as crazy people. But the problem is that when you do that, you separate what is quote unquote crazy about them from them as as people, which everybody started out as a person right? Whether you turn crazy, quote unquote, or not, you started out as a person and something happened in between there. And did that make them crazy? Maybe. More than likely, no. More than likely, they're sane as you or me. They've just made this decision to do this thing based on something in their lives, right? Um, Or maybe a, a, a lot of things, like Somerset said, it's not one thing, it's a lot of things. And but then you have Mills saying no, he's 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 an effing crazy person, you know, just being naive and letting his emotion uh, against this guy get his better judgment, right? So I find myself in between them in this conversation, rather than identifying more so with one or the other. I guess I would probably lean more towards Somerset. In just because I'm I'm so uh, on that that same plane of, mm-hmm. of no he's he's a person and he deserves to rot in hell you know but he's because he's a person he doesn't get off scot free because he's quote unquote crazy he gets to plead crazy no he's he's he deserves everything that's coming to him you know what I mean that's a great point because yeah whenever you you write someone off as crazy you're giving them an out. Yeah. You're saying, okay, maybe you're not totally accountable for your morality. For your actions. Yeah. Yes. Oh, totally. And that's such a great point. But I love that line too, that if he turns out to be just, Satan himself, Satan. that might live up to our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy crap. And that's so on the money. But I mean, would it live up to, I think it would let, it would let me down, hmm. you know, if he actually turned out to be crazy. Yeah, like I just totally. I, yeah, you. Yeah, someone with this much patience and planning, you you expect them to have some ideology or some internal clock that's yeah. ticking that's driving them forward. Yeah. yeah. Know, maybe you hope that they're crazy, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so diving into I guess a little bit of the uh, cinematography. This, I feel like you could literally spend, I could anyway, like a solid week. If I did like a 40-hour week just watching this movie, going scene by scene. Don't do it. I know. Don't I might do at it. some point, but Ugh. it's there's so much depth and layers that there's no way I'm going to pick it up in one or two viewings. That said, here's the little bits and pieces that I picked up. I really love the uh, walking into the first murder scene. The gluttony sin, they enter the chain link fence as we track with them. And I thought that was beautiful because it kind of symbolizes that they've entered a cage or a trap, maybe even the gate to like the nine circles of hell or something. (laughs) And their heads, as we're tracking alongside them, it's a beautiful shot, but their heads stay below the fence. They are symbolically and visually trapped inside this new location, uh, which is the beginning, right, of their whole saga. And I love that we follow them instead of being in front of them. Like the first tracking shot that we see Mills and Somerset take as they're talking, getting to know each other, we're in front of them, tracking uh, in front of them from the same kind of angle, this low angle, maybe a little bit closer. But here we're, we're following them, which it feels like they're now being stalked. They're in this cage. They're being stalked. Uh, it's really great visual setup for for what's happening silently in the film right now. And I love how atmospheric it is. We touched on that a little bit. Like there's a throughout the film, not necessarily in every single scene. Like the greed sequence doesn't really have a whole lot of atmospheric stuff in it. It's just a really bloody and disgusting scene but in that the gluttony scene at least they have a lot of haze and smoke for the flashlight beams there's all this really low lighting and what i really loved is the coroner himself says 
very moody. <laughs> so yeah, that. Great. on the nose, that's beautiful. And then of course you have all the ambient creepy tones that's happening, uh, which is, seems like a lot of the movie. I didn't really keep track of a lot of the audio, but it seemed like a lot of the movie had that. There's some nineties in it for sure. Yeah. Like there's some, there are some moments just to sidetrack for just a second. There are some moments where, you know, sometimes the 90 like suspense soundtrack is a little less suspenseful and a more, more like, like has more of a backbeat to it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just, it's in between like really suspenseful moments. Like there was just a suspenseful moment. There's probably going to be one coming up, but in between we're going to keep it dark, but we're going to add something, some other layer of kind of beat yeah. to it or something. <laughs> and it just, it screams nineties. Yeah. Know? One of the few reprieves it sounded like was in the library where they play the classical music. Mm. And after that, I, that wasn't a reprieve for me. No, that was cool. creepy as shit. Are you kidding me? He's by himself. Well, they, they're, you know, the, the, the guards guard, are there, yeah. but they're up in their own thing. And he's walking around in these. No way. That was so creepy to me. <laughs> I also really, I mean, this has kind of consumed me for years now with this film is kind of the cityscape. For one, it's like rainy as hell, right? It's just always raining not necessarily always but like 85 percent of the time it's raining very few shots where there's there's not rain especially when they're outside in their car it's just always seems to be raining which helps kind of obscure the city especially when they're driving around which i think is important because it's it's an undefined city even the city limit sign just says city limit (laughs) what what city do you think it is that is going to get into the symbolism i think this is kind of a stand-in city for maybe hell itself. Yeah. But we'll certainly touch on that in a little bit. I think they, if, if the world logic itself were to play out, I would say it's probably New York city. Yeah. Because at one point they make an upstate reference yeah. and that's the only city I would think you would use that kind of phrasing. Right. But yeah, they went out of their way to remove anything that, that had a city label on it. I didn't see it on taxi cabs. I didn't see it on their police cars or uniforms. Well, um, they, they, but at the end they drove for an hour and they're in like the middle of right. like the desert with mountains around. Yeah. It was like they went from LA to Vegas or something. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. Right. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> and so I don't know how you square that circle. Um, other than it just, pays off in the symbolism that I think that they're driving at, yeah. uh, which I'll take a really bad stab at in a little while. <laughs> and then uh, what I also enjoy, very simple stuff, but you have the dinner with Tracy sequence at the dinner table. You have these really simple shots. You have a two shot with Mills and his wife, Tracy. Then you have this clean single with Somerset to kind of delineate their relationships and a two shot is when there's two people in the shot, right? Correct. And a clean single or a a single is whenever there's just one person and there's nothing, there's nobody obscuring our view to that person, uh, which is why it's clean versus a dirty single. You might have one of those like over the shoulder shots where you're, you're these two people are talking and you're cutting back and forth. And with some filmmakers, especially with TV, maybe don't read too much into that stuff. There's, the the production schedule for TV shows is crazy. And at a certain point they're just kind of grabbing coverage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But with films, especially with someone like a David Fincher or Christopher Nolan, some of these guys, they think about all this stuff and the editing alone and the, the coverage I think is certainly worth its own full on breakdown analysis because there's really brilliant stuff. And if I can find one on YouTube, I'll put it in the show notes. But the other thing that kind of caught my attention, and there's a few more things, but one of the things that blew me away was the use of stairs. There are stairs everywhere. They are constantly ascending and descending. Uh, and it, I think it plays into the symbolism of, I haven't read uh, Dante's, not Inferno, but uh, certainly Inferno, which is a part of the the comedy, the divine comedy. Mm -hmm. I haven't read that book. And so I can't really do as good of analysis as I would like to do, but I suspect there's a lot of paralleling going on, especially because they're referencing a lot of that book in this movie, right? That's just constantly, uh, it even becomes one of the ways that they track down the killer. Like, because 
the Divine Comedy, I think, is musing on some of St. Thomas Aquinas's writings. And then that becomes one of the books that leads them to his apartment, which has that awesome sequence, uh, not just the chase sequence, but you have that that scene where they look up down the hallway. He 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 freezes, reaches back and starts shooting like that's yeah. a freaking awesome set It's awesome. God. But throughout the film, I think they're making these analysis and uh, comparisons with and maybe even using that as some kind of allegory. I don't know. That's kind of my scratching suspicion. But like whenever they're going out to arrest the killer after they find the fingerprints and they think, oh, we have this guy now. And they have their their police squad. Well, the police are like descending their tower, it feels like, and they're going further into hell. Um, They descend the stairs to get into their cars and their cars ascend up and out of the gates uh, to arrest the killer. And like maybe that's, I don't know, some kind of steed or I don't know. I haven't read the book, <laughs> but uh, the police, when they raid it, right, they have to climb all these stairs to find the killer. And I thought it was interesting that the uh, the apartment number of the victim for what is it? Sloth is 306, which seems like it's a uh, doe spelled upside down, which would be short for John Doe, like 306. You know, you'd have a D.O.E., uh, which is which is kind of cool. It's one of those things I think in the '90s you would probably probably page someone in like little little pager codes oh, that you yeah. would have back in the day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like boobies was a popular one, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that. And so you have all these things that even in the uh, that same victim, the sloth victim's uh, hospital room, when we're looking out from the room, we see all these signs for stairs and elevators, and later in when we go to find the uh the prostitute slayed they descend into what looks like maybe this is the first layer of hell i don't know it depends on what the writer is going for but the name of that club was hot house or apartment whatever the hell that was in in that little circle of hell but it was called hot house and i thought that was really funny and amusing because it yeah. felt very hellish yeah a lot of red a lot of oranges a lot of these hues that are reminiscent of fire specifically but then you have this great line uh going stepping back away from all the stair analogy which is very clear if you watch this movie with the idea of stairs and you don't see what I'm talking about, <laughs> you're not paying attention. <laughs> but there's this great line that blew me away when I was watching it a few days ago, which was they're riding in the car, and I can't even remember where they're driving, but it might have been on their way to arrest him. And he says, Christ, what was his name? As Mills is kind of recounting the story of one of the times he drew his gun. And he says, Christ, what was his name? And he pauses. And right at that pause, the sun blasts through the windows and then he resumes. What was his name? And it felt so symbolic of something. I'm not entirely sure what, but let's kind of take a few looks at it. For one, what does the sun represent? It's light. It's God. And at the same time, he's also saying Christ. And there's a lot of Christ, I don't know, deliveries throughout the film. And he can't remember his name. He's struggling to grab this name. And what's a name for someone who doesn't have a name? John Doe. And so it almost feels like, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe John Doe is becoming a god in this universe. Um, he's certainly passing a lot of judgment. And we'll get to diving into a little bit of John Doe. because interesting. I, I think he brings up a lot of interesting questions as a, as a character. But stepping back a little bit more into the, the cinematography, the, the handheld is interesting. He doesn't do, Fincher does not do very much handheld work. And here he uses it several times during the raid for sure. And that chase sequence with John Doe, mm-hmm. a lot of handheld action there because normally, right. He's very locked off. Yeah. He might slide in and out or forward and backwards. But if you watch a lot of the, uh, the, the dialogue sequences, it's very still frames as we're cutting from person to person. And then maybe he like has it on a swivel so that he can tilt up and down just yeah. to keep them framed up properly. Mm-hmm. But that's still like a tripod. It's still pretty locked down, which I love by the way. Yeah, I love it. It really pulls you into the dialogue and the scene and mm-hmm. what is being said because it's all important. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that actually today cause, uh, I've started really liking locked off shots a lot more. I used to like handheld a lot, mm-hmm. but, and I was trying to wonder, I was wondering why. And I, I think I realized it's because I'm sitting still when I'm watching and I don't really like 
move i mean i don't mind handheld shots don't get me wrong yeah um and they have their place same mm-hmm. like you know in a raid you know yeah. in, a, in a chase yeah. absolutely of course you know you can't have a locked off shot they like come on but when i'm watching a movie i'm still and i don't want my eyes all over the place when i'm when i'm trying to like you know, take something in like a mm-hmm. conversation or something. And so when everything is hand held and I'm trying to lock onto somebody's face or somebody's eyes when they're delivering a line to somebody and my eyes are moving all over the place, that just kind of drives me nuts. But having just like this beautiful, like very still locked up shot is just, it, it sucks me in a lot. Especially when you have such great performances coupled mm-hmm. with a riveting story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you're so tuned in. You don't need any gimmicks to, to pull you in further. Yeah. And then I, of the uh, few sequences I picked up, the other section with a lot of handheld was when Mills gets the news of his wife, which is really interesting because Mills is mostly in handheld and Somerset and John Doe are mostly locked off. Maybe they're slider sliding around on the dolly, or it's just a completely locked off track. But for the most part, like 90% of their shots are pretty well locked off and 90% of Mills is handheld. And it just really settled, sells emotionally what's happening in this sequence. John Doe has all the power. And so emotionally, he's very stable right. and therefore locked off. Mills is very unstable emotionally and therefore he's handheld. He's all over the place and he's erratic and it helps uh, emotionally impart all of that empathetically into the audience. Like you understand the stakes um, very, very well. And especially if we want to just dive into that sequence a little bit, they deliver that final blow very, very methodically. But some of the simple buildup that they do is pretty smart and obvious in hindsight because there's all these wife references in the final buildup. Oh yeah. You think he keeps kind of reminding you that he has a wife, right? Yeah. He's like in the lawyer meeting, he's like, my wife doesn't even have cable. And whenever they're shaving their chest to put on the wires, he's like, if I keep coming to home late, my wife is going to think something's up. And yep. they just kind of keep reminding you. I noticed that too. He's got a wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that whenever but I didn't notice it the first time. Yeah. Oh no, no way. You just yeah. like, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. These prisoners do sure have a good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just a simple little thing to help remind the audience because we haven't seen her in probably, you know, 30 minutes, you know, yeah, since. she's not in this movie very much at all. Yeah. She has like what? Three, four, three, like really talking scenes. And then maybe another two or three that she's just kind of there. Yeah. Um, like waking up or going to bed, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they spend a lot of that. All those moments are still used, right, to help impart why this is such a tragedy in the end, and why uh, you care about what's happened to her. And once again, psychologically, we never even see what's in the box. We're just yeah. told. Oh no, we see yeah. a spot of blood on the lid, and that's about it. But still, through through the use of those close-ups, which he's also super sparingly uh, in use of. We finally get a few close-ups uh, in that final sequence where he's about to, where he's making his decision, and that's communicating everything we need to know. We're cutting from John Doe to uh, Somerset to Mills, and we're seeing everyone on pins and needles, and wh- who's going to win, who's not. But I think it loses its impact if you have too many close-ups throughout the film. And Fincher is just a master of you know, playing the right card at the right time. Yeah. I mean, he's still probably getting a lot of this coverage throughout the, throughout the movie, but it's probably minimized in some, a lot of these other setups, but you also want to make sure you're giving your editor a lot of, a lot of options. Okay. Almost done. We got two small sections left and this is my favorite section because there is this brilliant shot design in the cruiser when they're with John Doe, they're driving out to the crazy power line place and this has been killing me for years, trying to understand what the heck is happening uh, camera-wise. Like, why are they shooting it this way? This has bothered me for years. And I went in after watching it a few days ago, and I was kind of making these notes of, here's some questions you need to ask while you're making your notes on your next viewing. And this was the big one, the one that had like three stars next to it. What's happening? And... It's simple, super simple, and you're all going to think I'm such a dumb dumb for, for making a big deal about it. But in the greed killing, let's rewind back. 
to the greed killing in the office with the lawyer, the wife's picture had these diamond glasses drawn on, right, with blood. And what what does Somerset say to Mills? Something she's supposed to see but hasn't had a chance to yet. Fast forward to the cruiser scene, Mills is framed using those that diamond cage. They're putting those same diamond glasses onto his face because there's something he hasn't had a chance to see yet. It's going to turn his world upside down just like the painting did. And even uh, John Doe starts hammering this point home to him. He's like, I just can't wait till you see it. I can't wait till you see it. And it's just beautiful, simple uh, callback to earlier in the movie where we learned something about the way the, the killer operates. And now he's operating that way again. I'm, you could even call it like his perspective as he's trying to frame him up in the, uh, in the cage just for his own, you know, sadistic satisfaction, mm-hmm. but it's this beautiful, simple thing. And what's also happening throughout that scene. I mean, that alone to me was just worth its weight in gold. I was super pleased with that, <laughs> but there's also this, other thing that is a continuation of that that opening kill where they're walking into the cage because that's this is still a continuation of it because now Mills and John Doe are locked in the cage. We keep seeing their interactions played through this cage and Somerset sees it, but he himself is not locked in, right? He sees it in his rear view when, uh, mirror. And so he's not caught up in the same game the way Mills is. And it goes back to your point about the emotionality of Mills because he is so instinctual and he's so based on making these snap judgments and decisions. And he doesn't think anything through. He's not seasoned. He's a rookie. He is definitely, definitely not ready for this case. Just like Somerset pointed out to him in the very beginning. And it's such a very simple thing that's happening cinematically that plays right into the foreshadowing, what's going to happen and the cat and mouse game that's happening right now, because it also kind of makes you ask the question, who's in the cage? Who's created this cage? Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I, that I totally agree with that more. I mean, I'm not I'm not completely sold on the glasses thing. I'll take some like frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take some frames though, because they, they are working really hard to uh, keep his eyes in those uh, holes. Whereas you cut back to John Doe and he's mm-hmm. both of his eyes are within a single one of those diamonds. Oh, and, okay. And that way he's, he's focused. He's within himself. He, he's seen everything he needs to see, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. I need to go watch that again. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. But it also brings up the final question that I have, which is um, going back to symbolism. Who is John Doe? (sighs) On the one hand, I think John Doe represents humanity, especially if you start looking at this in the light of the divine comedy and the, the, the topic of the film itself, right, is good and evil. I think the world itself is representative of hell, and everyone's living in it. That's why it doesn't have a city name. That's why it doesn't have any any kind of landmarks. You never really get a feel. It feels like this this netherworld. And all the conversations that kind of revolve around that, whenever she's Tracy is asking Somerset his advice and opinion about living in this city. And she's like, you've lived here longer. It's always here, uh, this city, this place. Uh, they never label it. And I think that's because it represents hell on earth. It's this, it's a humanitarian crisis that we're, we're living in uh, a moral crisis even. And so if John Doe is kind of the accumulation of humanity, that's kind of interesting because he lives on the sixth floor. We, we get that whenever we begin the chase or maybe when they're coming up the stairs, whatever, but he lives on the sixth floor, which is significant because I think God made man on the sixth day. Yeah. And if you've never heard, uh, I took a lot of theology, theology classes, even theology? though I can't pronounce the I took word. theology. <laughs> you might have taken theology, but I took theology. But if you've never heard the reason, uh, at least the one that I was fed, that 666 is the number of the devil, because if man is made on the sixth day, and the number three represents the triune God, uh, the Trinity, then 666 represents man trying to become God. 
and it's a, a perversion of you know your place on earth and specifically your your place in light of God and how you view uh, your place in the world and creation. And so John Doe plays this interesting character of the culmination of everything that's wrong with humanity, maybe, um, or something along those lines. But I think the more interesting question is, is John Doe God or is he the devil? They, they communicate several times that his murders are sermons for us. And I think that's an interesting analogy in context of calling him a God or a devil, um, because it, it casts a really interesting light. Um, if you know, my more religious listeners will forgive, you know, these ponderings, these musings, but it, it asks the question like, is God preaching through the destruction and judgment that he reaps on humanity throughout the Bible? Right. We get a lot of our lessons through the destruction of humankind. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's all righteous, you know, religiously speaking. Um, it's all righteous. It's all justified. Floods killing most of humanity. Even in the New Testament, you know, uh, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit kills two people, strikes them down for what? That's all up for debate. I'm not going to dive into too much, you know, theology or theolo- the- theology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really interesting kind of comparison. Like, what does that make if John Doe is a representation of God because he's trying to do kind of a similar thing? He's trying to teach humankind that, as Morgan, or as uh, Somerset says in that opening quote, all these things are easy. It's easy to to beat a child than than it is to raise them. It's easier to, which is apparently what uh, the Divine Comedy is really all about, and the the nine or seven circles of hell, hell however you want to call it. Every one of those layers represents a perversion. These seven sins are all perversions of love and in their own ways. Wrath and envy are perversions of love in a uh, way that's a selfish, it's a selfish way. And then gluttony and lust, these are all perversions of love in, in terms of um, inducing it and consuming it. You're, you're taking too much love. Um, and so these all have their places, and it's an interesting conversation, I should say, more than anything, yeah. to to ask, what does that make John Doe if he's carrying out something that's the Lord's work, especially in his own you know, point of view? Is he a God? Is he a devil? I don't know. Man, I... I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, wow. I didn't even think of that, but you know, I think maybe the way that you view it probably is based on your your own personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. right? So mine isn't too good <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> so in that in in that respect maybe I would say yeah, he could definitely be God. I mean it's I, man, I don't, because I don't even know. To continue that line of thinking out is if he is and by technically by his own admission of envy, he, he has sin. And so it's, yeah. it's a flawed conversation to begin with. Grant jealous God. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because he ultimately dies for what he believes in. Uh, to him, mm-hmm. it's a sacrifice. And so he kind of becomes this Christ-like figure uh, because he is executed by, you know, one of the sinners. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just an interesting topic that I think the film is trying to address in some interesting way that I can't. Yeah, I mean, like, what if, what if when like Jesus came down and started killing people, smiting people because they were gluttonous or mm-hmm. you know they were envious or they were greedy? It's interesting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's hard to kind of put my finger on it because I want to say. Like your gut instinct is to say he's he's the devil, mm-hmm. but again, like we talked about earlier in that conversation, it's like it might be harder yet more accurate to call him God in this scenario because God has been known to do these types of things. Maybe not exactly in this in a specific right. way, yeah. you know, but like, but like you said, destroying lots of humanity and pretty awful ways or even you know not even doing it himself just allowing it to happen you know just yeah. the, the, uh, the 
like allowing others to do it to them to each other you know like it's a dark world and somerset is clearly fed up with like all of it right and i think that puts us in his seat then yeah for sure the more sure. we dive into that right yeah so I, yeah you know what if i keep waiting and it's interesting too because at at that climactic moment when uh he finds out and he's talking trying to talk him out of it what does he do he looks up into the sky for this kind of brief moment like god help me yeah yeah and obviously there's no help coming yeah. um fincher is so good about not wasting moments he's a very efficient storyteller even though this is a two-hour movie it's lean i don't yeah. think there's any insignificant moments in this entire film yeah definitely not yeah. i mean when i was watching it last night I, w- I was an hour in and and thinking man i got another hour uh it's gonna kind of drag it did not drag at all <laughs> i mean every single moment has a purpose yeah, yeah. it's brilliant brilliant i I suspect that he has a lot to do with that. He's working with the screenwriter. Even after one of the stories I read was he read the log line. He's like, I don't want to read this piece of, you know, this is very cliche and, and derivative. And his agent or whoever it was, was like, no, 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 bro. Just call me whenever you've gotten to the end, read this right now. <laughs> like They were yeah. like forcing it on. And he said he slogged through it. And finally, yeah, he gets to the, the punchline, so to speak. And, he was like, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so do you think he's God or do you think he's uh, the devil? I would paint him as God, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, maybe not necessarily the explicit God of the Bible, but maybe not too far off either. He's certainly casting a lot of judgment. He's taking life as he sees fit, and uh, he's clearly got some some views about yeah. morality. Uh yeah, I would paint him as as a as a god, as God, certainly in his own world, in this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting too, like you know, comparing this to the Divine Comedy. If you read pieces of that, or you look at any of the illustrations, it's just the. I mean, the most brutal um, depiction of in, anything that can be done to a human to a human body form um, that you can imagine. I mean, it's it's just. It's horrid and it's terrifying. Um, and that's what John Doe does. That's what he is. He's all about, he's the shock and the awe. He is the, um, so maybe he's not necessarily God. He could be sent from hmm. from God. Like an angel. Yeah, like an angel, yeah, of death, yeah. you know? Of, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, it, I shudder a little bit to call him God, but at the same time, I feel like, it's it's more a divine a- aspect than it is a a hellish one, even though hell like it's it's an example of hell on earth, mm-hmm. right? Which typically you would you would say okay, well that's that's like a demon or something. But in this case, I just feel like there's some aspect of of uh, retribution to it that makes me. F- feel like it's more divine i I don't really know i don't really know how to explain it other than just that there's like this calmness about i mean i I guess somerset has it too i mean i'm I'm trying to work this out in my brain while we're we're (laughs) recording you know it's probably not the best time um but somerset has this this calmness as well so maybe in that regard they are Somerset is more of the the is more of the god fig, like figure. Uh, yeah, you oh, know? interesting. And and that's really interesting. So he's Somerset's a god, more and the angel. John Doe would be the devil, right? Um, and now or a demon. You're you're struggling with uh, yeah, or a demon. And now you're struggling with an agent of good, struggling to find a reason to keep fighting mm-hmm. for their people. Yeah. And finally, it took him coming face to face with evil to realize, yeah, maybe I can make a difference. Maybe it's the constant bad. Did you ever read the screw tape letters? Yes. Okay. So, you know, it's basically what they are is these these letters from a, a demon on earth writing back to Satan about his 
about or his uh, disciple or his discipling another, or demon. discipling another demon about his exploits on earth mm-hmm. and about the pe- and about human beings and et cetera, et cetera. And it's there, it describes a lot of like battle, you know? So there, then there's this constant battle between good and evil on, on earth, you know, but you could say between heaven and hell or angels and demons or over souls. Yeah. Right. This could be an example of that possibly where, John Doe is the demon and uh, Somerset is the angel. And they're both at the end. They are both fighting over Mills soul right there. Right. That's good. You know, so we have, and it's, it's almost like an example of Job too, because Job had everything taken from him and he passed the test. Mm -hmm. Right. And in this regard, it's important that Mills is a greenhorn. It's important that he's like a younger guy who thinks he's got it figured out, man. Like I know the world I've done enough to know who I am and what I would do in certain circumstance which I think a lot of us at certain points feel like uh, maybe right now I got it a little bit. Maybe right now I know that if I was if if I had a gun to my head, I wouldn't do X or I wouldn't do Y. But until you're in that situation, it's just literally impossible to know. And yeah, principles he, are easy in theory. Exactly. It, I mean, I will say, you know, myself, like it's impossible to know un, until I'm there. And then he's there yeah. at the end. He has everything taken from him in one fell swoop, and now he has to make a decision. And and yeah, the demon won. Yeah, the demon won in that regard. I mean, if if we're if we're trying to compare, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it just got to a good resolution. I think so. Yeah, in my that was head. pretty good, man. That was it, at least for myself. I feel absolutely. pretty content. Sorry for the listeners that it took me <laughs> ten full minutes of of just rambling to figure that out. No, I love that. That's fun. I I like figuring that stuff out. Like it's, it's easier for me to figure it out in my head, but it's much more fun to figure it out. Yeah. Somebody else just like, no, same. Like I talking hyperbole. Perfect to have. It's always great to have a soundboard dialogue and, yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. <laughs> so you could like literally hear my gears turning in my head at that point. Well, you are mic'd up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what you're hearing. What? Uh, yeah. What do you give it? Oh my gosh. Oh man, out of ten, I'm gonna give it a ten. I, I mean, well, okay, a solid nine and a half. Hmm. On a good day, it's hard to it's hard to give like movies like this a ten. Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it ten. Same, yeah. same, yeah. yeah. It's just it's one of those ironies of you did a great job of making me feel horrible. <laughs> yes, and I kind of don't want to watch it again because I know how I feel. Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't watched it recently, and uh, or maybe at all, watch it with the idea of imagining this is a world of hell. And I think yeah. a lot of the imagery starts to make a whole lot more sense. It's dark, it's rainy, it's like chaotic on the streets. There's that great scene where they're, Somerset's driving and he looks on the sidewalk and there's that crowd. I can't tell what's happening to that oh, person yeah. on the ground. Like beating him? It looks picking like him up? Yeah. What? I don't know. It was terrifying, whatever it was. But yeah, if I think if you were watched that with all these things that we've talked about in your head, it would make it a really interesting experience. All that said, uh, Reco for the week. Yes. Yes. I'm going to go on a much lighter side (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to recommend uh, another Morgan Freeman film, uh, with a, a, one of my favorite quotes in it, uh, Bruce almighty. (laughs) Can I say the quote? Yes, I'm going to yeah, say yeah. the quote. Yeah. One of his, the thing that he says to Bruce as he's going to heaven and Bruce says, well, what if I need you? And he says, that's your problem. You're always looking up. <laughs> and it, for some reason, that just has always stuck with me in my life. And it's almost completely changed my relationship with God. In it's not our job to throw everything at him. <laughs> It's not our job to ask him for things all the time. It's not, if we want something, we have to make it happen. Yeah, you can pray for it all you want, but if you if you just pray and you do nothing, it's not going to happen. You have to make it happen. So yeah, I mean, if praying makes you feel better, absolutely. 
you know, go for it. And, and, but basically what you're doing is you're, you're screaming your attention into the universe and that intention, when you set it in motion actually sets an emotion in within you. And then you go and, you know, do things that you might not have done or in a way that you might not have done it. And that sets things in motion, other things in motion, other things in motion, you know, butterfly effect kind of thing. And then, and then maybe that thing will happen. But if you put it all on God, yeah, yeah. it's just a, it's another cop out. Well, I think uh, like book of James, maybe James three is like faith without deeds is dead. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, even if you are like a hardcore person, you should be out there looking, looking inward more than yeah. you're looking up maybe uh, because 100%. I mean, no. any goal that you have is, is gotta be, you gotta make sacrifices. You've gotta, you know, get out of your comfort zone and do things that you don't like to do in a lot of cases. And that's just how it is. And it's not even because it's the way the world is. It's just how, how the universe operates. Like nothing's given to you. You just gotta, you gotta make it happen. Basically. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Awesome. I am also going to stick with the, I was on the fence. I had three that I was chewing on, but a comment that you made, it was like, okay, that's, I'll take that as a confirmation. Whenever you said angel of death. Oh my God. And so <laughs> I'm going to recommend another Brad Pitt movie called meet Joe black. Uh, <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. I think uh, if you haven't seen it and for a tree, you, most of you, I expect probably have seen it. Yeah. Set aside four hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty much all we got for you. Um, tune in next week. We switch tone and energy. <laughs> Please. And we're going to be doing The Big Sick. Yeah. And, which you can see right now. It's streaming on Amazon Prime if you're a Prime holder. Yep. But if you haven't seen it, go check it out so that you'll be in the loop when we cover it. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Leave us a note saying what you'd like to talk about. If you want to comment on this specific episode, especially if you've read The Divine Comedy and you're like, you morons are missing it, then by all means, weigh in at thepestlepodcast.com slash seven. How do you spell that? S-E-V-N-E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to keep that. Uh, we S-E-V-E-N. Were, yeah, so just for everyone, for backstory, before we started this episode, we were talking about the spelling of seven, and, and Wes was, say, was saying he was debating on whether or not to do pestlepodcast.com slash S-E-V-E-N the number seven E N how the movie's spelled yeah. <laughs> or do you spell it out seven? Like the number, the whole S E V E N it was this whole conversation. It was because and now we know it's S E V N. <laughs> oh geez. It's not, it's uh, not S E V E N because on IMDB it's with the number. And then on the title sequence of the movie, it's with the number, but on Netflix, it's not, I just, man, we're just going. We're just going with Netflix, right? Yeah, they're running the world. They are. So we're going with Netflix. There it is. I like it. I want to give a shout out to Joe Hawaii, Joe from Hawaii, technically, but in my mind, you're Joe Hawaii now. <laughs> Your last name is yeah. Hawaii. I saw that. I was like, what? For dropping a note on last week's episode, he also had uh, the same like thumping on the forehead that I had where it, when it came to figuring out the symbolism of. Uh, the movie. So we commiserated over that. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll leave you with a quote of the day. This one's from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. I love that. I feel like it typifies Mills, the whole yeah. dynamic between Mills and Somerset. Yep. Somerset kept trying to tell him, stop underestimating this guy. Stop mm-hmm. thinking you know who this is. I mean, he was even having that fight with the rest of his department, um, but we got to hear it mostly through the lens of him and, and Mills. And it's so good. I mean, that's kind of a societal issue we have at this point, not to dive too much into that, but you you do, you have this this weird power dynamic of, are the right people attracted to the right things in society? In this film, right, we have a cop who is trying to do a, a a good cop's work, a detective's work, but he he's partnered around with some of these people who are not maybe suited for being a detective or being being in the in the law enforcement uh, department. Similar in a way, like you have politicians who what you need in a politician 
as someone who really doesn't want to be a politician. <laughs> yeah. No, and it just hardly ever happens. It's like right. maybe one out of 10,000 yeah. um, says I'm doing this really just because it needs to be done. And I think that happens throughout any position of power throughout you know the country for sure. And I think that was kind of the dynamic that Somerset was wrestling with because he really believed in what he was doing. He just stopped believing that he, he was making a difference. And I was... I was really glad after seeing it uh, these last two times because I kind of forgot that he sticks around. Yeah. And in my head all this time, it's been he leaves. And so getting to the end of the movie and him saying, I'll be around. It's like, okay, that's good because we need more of that. We need more of the people doing the things that maybe they don't necessarily want to be doing, but that they're good at and that they believe in. Yeah, it's that's interesting because based on that quote, I kind of related that more to Mills just because... He was twisting mm-hmm. theories. Yeah, and it, that it, Somerset was his check against that. Yeah. Oh, my, I, my, I see. Yeah, yeah. I see. So I'm supporting you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, definitely. I mean, he had his view of this is how the world is. I want it to be this way. I want it to be this way. It's well, fun. And I love that it's Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, he wrote Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And this is a detective-ish story. And yeah, no, it's great. Great quote. Like it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you find these. <laughs> But they add another 10 minutes to our podcast every week. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Again, please go and leave us a message uh, on uh, pestlepodcast.com. Review us. I mean, everything that we do relies on uh, your reviews and your feedback and everything. And and we want to hear from you. So please go do that. And next week we are doing again... The Big Sick. The Big Sick. All right. Uh, So until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.